Well, well, well. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Engage, where we talk Trek, among other things, on this podcast about Star Trek. I mean, I guess that's the thing that we're supposed to do. Um, again, join with me. Joining with me today, I'm joined. Y'all aren't symbionts. Um, joining me today are uh, Lieutenant Commander Eric and Lieutenant Commander David. Joining um, again for more of the. I don't know, craziness that is discussing Star Trek episodes as they air. How's it going, gents? You know, I want to uh, I want to formally request a reduction in rank because apparently it doesn't matter anymore. So mm. I'll just go by Ensign temporarily for, for this episode. Is that oh. okay? Ensign Fogel. Okay. Wow. You just demoted yourself. And now yourself. you may call me first officer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, no, we're, just coming, we're just coming right out the gate with that. I love it. Love it. I already yeah. threw a cross. Man, I got I to gotta tone it down. Can't can't be just throwing crosses this early. No. Ay. Ay, 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 ay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm doing fine, right, in my life. Star Trek, <laughs> not so much right now for okay. me. Okay. Man. Well, gents. Well, Ensign Fogel and Lieutenant Command. Actually, we're just going to make you Lieutenant. Because right. why not? We're and I mean, Admiral Vance's um, executive officer is just a lieutenant. Yeah. So congratulations, and there we go. And um, I'll expect a formal ceremony with all the crew. Okay. You want them to say yes? Yes. Did I miss the cool say yes part? <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> I need it chanted. <laughs> well, welcome everyone to to this installment of of um, Engage. Uh, this week we are talking about Star Trek Discovery Season Three, Episode Seven, Unification Part Three, or just Unification Three, however you want to look at it. Um, there's a lot to unpack and discuss in this episode. But before we actually talk about uh, about Unification 3 that we saw this week, I kind of want to just maybe slow it down just a skosh and maybe talk briefly, like kind of talk like in broad strokes, so to speak, with uh, Unification 1 and 2 that originally aired with uh, Next Generation. You guys okay with that sort of thing? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think I posted this in the group. Um, on our Facebook group, um, like, hey, by the way, Unification 3 is coming out soon. Maybe consider, you know, watching it and, you know, in preparation for this week's episode. Um, I've, it, this wasn't my first time seeing it. I've seen Unification 1 and 2 a handful of times, more than a handful of times. And um, I'll get to my part in just a, a little bit, but what were, what were y'all's take on... Uh, maybe you like your second or this most recent viewing of, of one and two, if that's what you did. Yeah, I'm a fan of the unification episode. Um, it's really, it was fun the first time I saw it to bring back Spock. That was really cool um, to see Spock interact with, with Picard because we had seen Picard interact with Kirk and now it's cool to see Picard interact with Spock. That was really cool. 
and I always love like the dangerous undercover mission. I'm a big fan of spy stories, James Bond, anything else. So we're going on this really dangerous undercover mission behind enemy lines on the enemy's home world. And that was fun. And then it basically, you know, it's a diplomatic, you know, mission, which really like hits at the heart of Star Trek. It's not like a mission. Oh, we got to blow up a weapon that they're creating with all due respect to a different um, franchise. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was a fun episode and we got to see Sela. That's the Sela for the last time. You know, I always wanted to explore that character more. And then it's it's very touching at the beginning of the episode when you see Picard go and visit um, uh, Sarek. And Sarek is basically at the end of his life and he's basically lost his mind. And you can tell, um, you can really understand all the affection he has for his son and how there is regret that the two of them never got to work things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there were, there were a ton of layers to, to those episodes. You had... You know, you had a mystery to solve, and you had diplomacy to to diplomat. I I don't know if there's a word for that. Um, There is now. And and then obviously the the nostalgia behind uh, bringing back Leonard Nimoy to to run with Spock, and also, you know, the the Romulans had always kind of been a sort of mysterious, I guess, and and they did a similar thing with the uh, with the Klingons. Uh, with uh, Worf's uh, trial that he had and showing the different parts of the societies. Mm -hmm. You know, all Klingons are not warriors. All Romulans are not arrogant pricks. Well, maybe they are. I don't know. But at any rate, (laughs) it was kind of nice to see different different parts of of the societies build them up a little bit more, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that you don't always get in other in other shows. So very good episodes, though. Yeah. And I think the with the whole reunification bit um, that we see in Unification 1 and 2, um, I think in a way it's it's laying the groundwork in a way, you know, for what we see kind of play out um, at the end of Star Trek Nemesis, right? With um, everything that Shinzon and and the, the Remans and stuff had done to kind of dismantle Romulus in a way um, and like what uh, Captain Riker ends up doing like he's the one that's supposed to you know head up the task force following the events of Nemesis uh, for you know starting the conversation between Romulus and the Federation and, and them potentially becoming members so um, that, that was that was pretty neat and then of course we see more of the Romulans and maybe some of the fallout of Romulans and the Federation like whatever goodwill there was uh, in those intervening years maybe has gone gone downhill real quick because of, you know, the, the supernova and everything that we found out about in the Picard books and the comic books and then, of course, in the Picard um, TV series that we saw earlier this year. Um, so we've been getting a lot of, of Romulan stuff, um, in at least in this part of the timeline, right? I mean... There were, I mean, we definitely got got some here and there in original series, but it's, it's more uh, vibrant. You see much more of it in, in 24th century and beyond compared to original series era. Um, if I can just be real with, with the listeners out there, um, and I shared, I was texting you guys 
um, a couple days ago when I was watching Unification again in preparation for um, Unification Part 3. It was really freaking hard for me to watch Unification. Um, like, Unification 1 hit me real hard. Um, yeah, it, 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 it hit me real hard just because my mom has brain cancer and she can't talk anymore. Um, like, and if she does, it's like just a couple phrases at a time. And even like leading up to this part, like where she's at, like she was kind of all over the place, like with, like how Sarek was. So it was just, it was hitting real close to home for me watching Sarek and then remembering and knowing where my mom's at. So, um, like, I think unification has a new meaning to me, like at least one and two has, has new meaning to me based on like my own life and what I'm experiencing with my family. Um, so maybe that impacts the way that I, I go forward with, you know, in uh, unification three. I don't know, maybe not. Um, but it, it's been interesting. And, um, anyways, just wanted to, to put that out there. I don't know if there's other listeners that might have like a similar experience with this, like this two part episode, uh, from the next generation era. But, um, I just wanted to kind of touch on that for a second before we move right into, to unification three. So, um, but unification one and two has, has been a, a wonderful, a wonderful story, a beloved story for years. I mean, it's been out since, what was it? 1991, if I'm not mistaken, 91. 91. Yeah. So the other thing about unification is that basically it's, if you were watching it at the time, it's a lead in to the final original series movie, the, yep. the Undiscovered Country, mm-hmm. how Spock, it came out in November of 91. And, and then the movie came out in December of 91. And so Spock mentions, he's like, you know, the role I had in negotiating the Klingon Treaty and everything that happened there, and he's teasing it because they know what's coming. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so I imagine if you were a Star Trek fan back then in the day and you were watching it, you were like, you were very looking, much looking forward to what Spock is teasing here. You're like, wait, what happened? Right. Yeah. What in the world is about to happen right now? Um, yeah, we're, we're a month away from finding out. And yeah, I was I was about to bring that up. Um, that very fact that this was a tie-in to to the movie and like conspiracies going on in the movie, um, like trying to prevent things from happening. And we see kind of like a conspiracy thing kind of going on in one and two. And we see conspiracy stuff going on now, you know, in Unification 3. And of course, just now in general, like with 32nd Century, Star Trek, there's like a lot of like, what the devil's going on, like smoke and mirrors almost of like what caused it, like not wanting to talk about it. Um, we're very divided and let's like just leave things the way, they, where the way that they are. So um, if you haven't seen Unification 1 or 2 and you haven't seen Star Trek The Undiscovered Country, which is Star Trek 6, um, I would highly recommend you check those out. They're both great. One, I think that 1 and 2... I don't know if I would say, and I'll just go, maybe this will be a good segue into to three, but I don't know if I would consider one and two a direct prequel to three, like maybe um, like a spiritual successor as opposed to like a straight up successor. Yeah, yeah. So to me, this episode, part three, is not about 
uniting the Romulan and Vulcan people. That's not what it's about. It's about Michael Burnham personal drama. Because isn't every episode about Michael Burnham's personal drama? I'd say it is to an extent. Yeah, like, I mean, Michael Burnham, and like they even touch on that like at the beginning, like with a little passing joke between Michael and, and Book, you know, like a bunch of overachievers in the family for crying out loud and bearing the universe on your shoulders. Um, yeah, like I don't, I don't see this as like anything about, you know, the, the unification part other than perhaps Spock's vision, his passion, whatever you want to call it has been realized and now here we are we're seeing it with um with romulus and vulcan united so david look like you're about to say something yeah yeah you only get the subtleties of the real in quotations the realization of the dream i i I think um i think if we were going to call this a true unification episode it would have to deal with more fixing the healing or fi- he- fixing or healing the wounds that they clearly have because it, not to dig too deep in here um, but you know here here's your spoilers there for you just spoils um, there is a great division between three factions now on uh, dang it the uh, planet escapes me what's the new planet Vinar. name Vinar. Navar Navar N- Navar yeah yeah, so no longer Vulcan, but Navarre. Not to and be confused with Navarro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he played with the Chili Peppers back in the 90s. That was good. That's good. <laughs> Does tattoos. I don't know how that relates, Eric, but uh, anyway. I was talking so. about the planet where... I know. I, I know. I just I had to throw in a random... <laughs> something random there. But yeah, I, I actually found the division far more interesting than the plot line of our story but we didn't explore that because that's not what we're doing with this season of discovery. It feels like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so much potential there to tell a good story of the division that these, these three facts, like the Vulcan logic purist, the Romulan purist and the, the group in the middle who's trying to bridge them. There's really good story. I feel like to be mined there, but that's not what they wanted to do. And, and I'll just say this, like, I'll just go ahead and get the uh, um, the taboo thing about the way. But, like, I couldn't help but just, like, see that as a critique on American politics, if I can just say that. Like, the whole liberal, conservative, moderate, or Republican, Democrat, independent type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that in there. And You anyway. mean fake news? I'm sure there's fake news somewhere in there, in that in that storyline. <laughs> that Michael Burnham, so much fake news. <laughs> Distracting from the real issues. Oh, Lord. Lord no. What have I started? <laughs> what have I started? Okay. So, yeah, there, there was... We were talking about, like, how there was probably some good storytelling somewhere in there, but it was just kind of... Like just, I don't know, just there. I mean, it just it kind of just like passed right over it. Yeah, that's not the story they're telling in this season three of Discovery. They're telling a much different story. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, they're 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 failing at one very crucial aspect of storytelling. 
it's cool to have an overarching theme, which is the burn. And we seem hyper-focused on the burn. The burn, the burn, the burn. We have to get the data to do the burn. Oh, we have to figure this out for the burn. And then we steamroll over basic storytelling. And the thing about, like, even though I don't like the story of the Zindi and Enterprise, the one thing that they were able to do was continue to, to tell episodic stories while still having the Zindi as an overarching theme. It's like, yes, we clearly have to deal with this, but you don't have to hyper-focus on it every single episode. And in the case of Discovery, we're... <laughs> There are a couple things that I, I, I have to I, I will eventually have to point out about the way we're dealing with alien cultures here that are clearly hurt by what the Federation has done, by the way things have just turned out in the galaxy due to the burn. <clears throat> but we are not actually doing the job of Starfleet. We're, we're or, you know the Federation, Starfleet, whatever. We're not actually showing, in my opinion, true diplomacy. We're not actually showing true healing you know this the ideals of the federation we're just glossing over them because we have to get you know guess what we have to get to the finish line on the burn it's all about the burn and that's literally all we can talk about like we've already said we had a very interesting subplot here mm -hmm. with a planet that is divided into three factions if you could have just even minutely tweaked on that a little bit i think you would have had a great thing but instead as eric alluded to what you have is the trial of Michael Burnham, which coincidentally, and I'll just say this here, I am fine with as long as it is not the main plot of a show. Because to be honest with you, that's that whole uh, call out that happens was actually, in my opinion, what she needed, but it also illustrates why this ship needs a counselor <laughs> like <laughs> like three like maybe four and a, and a therapeutic holodeck sure yes um, sure yeah and, and you mentioned the point about there's this interesting diplomacy that we could be doing on this planet that clearly has divisions and the same thing was true when we went to trill there's definitely some healing that needed to be done there and there's definitely this diplomacy that we could i know we hadn't met the federation in this era yet by the time we got there but they clearly need help and they've been clearly left behind by the federation and there's some good healing and diplomacy there's a good story we could tell going back to trill i think like with with the whole diplomacy thing that we're we're talking about for me personally i i, I see the the diplomacy coming out the most from Saru um, in terms of how he's interacting with the president um, of Navarre, right? And it's maybe it's not gold, but like I, to me, it's reminding me just of like uh, almost like a Picard, maybe a Janeway type of, of diplomacy and how like they might approach these, these cultures, so to speak. Um, it's much more tempered. Uh, between the Picard and the Janeway style of maybe doing diplomacy, uh, maybe temper's not the right way. But I, th I hope you guys get what I'm saying. Like, I no, think I no, think I, I, I get what you're saying. But then just make him Ambassador Saru and stop trying to play like he's a captain. Because yeah. I'm going to say this right now, he's not. 
He's very he's very much not. And and I've I've been critical. You guys know I was critical, and then I kind of tried to turn around. I'm right back to being critical. He's not hes not the captain of yeah. a Starfleet ship, but I also want to expound upon that later as well. Yeah, sure. like I, I've been very complimentary of some of the actions that Saru has taken in this season, and I've said I think he is maturing and becoming a captain, but I, I'm right there with you on this episode, David. I am taking a big step back, and I'm saying Saru is not acting in a very good captain-y way and like i said that like i said i i'm changing my mind and that's something that you know i am want to do sure and would it would it be okay chase to just kind of jump into that issue do you want to jump to that right now i mean we might as well because i have a i have a talking point on that and some some stuff now, now hold I on. Just, I just know that when you text me that when you were watching this, it was within the very first part of this. So I think you were also having a, a big bit of trouble with the same thing that I had. Yeah. Uh, and, and just, I think I asked you this, and I can't remember if you've told me before or not, David, but are you prior service? No. No, you're not prior service. Okay. No. And I know, Eric, your, your brother is... Is he still serving or is he reserved now? No, he uh, he got he he left like a year ago. Um, he was a, he was a major and he he failed to be promoted and then he left the service. Okay, and he stayed with like um, engineering and stuff. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So um, I just I'll put this out there. I know that there are probably active duty people that might listen to this or retired. Um, I'm a former Air Force cadet, so I at least understand like ranks, um, and I also understand like different postings that you might have within ranks. So I just want to throw that out there um, before we we really dive into this. So that being said, that's my disclaimer of sorts. Let's get into this. So Michael Burnham was fired as the XO. She was fired as the the first officer, number one, whatever you want to call her. Uh, at the end of the immediate past episode, and now here we are, episode seven, right? And we're we're trying to figure out. In fact, we were speculating about that, like who's going to be the new first officer. And Eric, I remember you saying something like, "Oh, maybe Lieutenant Nielsen, right? Like that would probably make the most sense because she's taking the con. Like we see her take the con. Um, you know, whenever Saru or whomever steps off the bridge." That would have made sense. I mean, we brought we brought her back on just for grins and giggles, and there she is. She hasn't spoken, but she's sat in the center seat. And um, I had kind of said, like, maybe Stamets because of his rank. Like, you know, he's a lieutenant commander. I'm pretty sure he's lieutenant commander uh, Stamets. That would have made sense, even though he's a science officer. I mean, or or somebody like Lieutenant Willa, who is mm-hmm. Admiral Vance's XO, formerly you know, known. Could've... That could have been like a bridge between the Discovery and Admiral Vance, the new Starfleet. And we could have like, you know, done a counterbalance between the, you know, bringing these people into the fold and what here's what you need to expect. Yeah, that would have been smart. Right. That would have been smart. (laughs) Otherwise known as future lieutenant. However, just just a slight caveat here. The only thing that we we have is that the, the nominee acting first officer 
So there is the possibility that that could be either overridden or changed in the future. Just saying. But sorry, mm-hmm. continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know Chase, at the end, we were speculating at the end of the last episode, and you said, you know, I think what they're doing and the way they're setting up this story is it's probably going to be Tilly. I did say and that, I, didn't I? rolled my eyes so hard you could hear them. <laughs> <laughs> and and looking back, it should have been obvious that that's who it was going to be because we've heard two sentences from all the other bridge characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let me go ahead and throw this out here to you guys. Um and and I'll and I'll see what you how you how you gauge it. Mm-hmm. I want you to think about trust for a moment, and I'll preface this by saying that although Starfleet is not necessarily wholeheartedly a military organization, they have a very military backbone, but a little bit more evolved and more scientific, okay? Discovery. Discovery was, and people can disagree, but Discovery was built as a ship of war. It's a warship. Why? Because of its experimental drive, it was built for the, you know, to, to battle the Klingons. Okay. Oh no, it was like a recon ship. No, come on, man. If you have that advantage, you, I guarantee you, <laughs> all those admirals were like, oh, we but could in, really in do season, some damage. In season one, they specifically try to say Discovery was built as a science vessel, and yeah. Saru said it's capable of doing over a hundred different scientific research missions uh-huh. all at the same time. Yeah, which is cool. But okay, so let let let's just you know put out that okay, science vessel, <laughs> sure, it does sciencey things, but I mean those admirals are like, oh man, we could just drop a bomb wherever we want. That's just how it's thought of. So anyway. <laughs> Now it is your first response ship, right? We've kind of established this is supposed to be your first response ship. So if it's a first response ship, I'm not thinking about like it's the ambulance coming through. No, I think it's going to come into a potential firefight, like try and save some people. So it's got to be relatively combat ready, right? So I'm going to give you guys a list that you already know, a list of first officers that we know of from series and whatnot. Um, you know, Enterprise, we had T'Pol, uh, Lieutenant Commander Una, Michael Burnham was even first officer, it's fine, Suru, Spock, Riker, uh, Kira, Nerese, uh, Chakotay, heck, even let's throw in Jack Ransom uh, from Lower Decks, because he's there uh, for some reason. Would you trust those names with your life? All of them except for maybe two or three, yes. All of them probably except for Ransom and Burnham. Well, uh, okay, but but taking everything personal aside, uh, Michael Burnham is a highly effective and capable officer. She, you know, can do hand-to-hand. She does know how to command, but she just follows her own lead. So I, I understand why you wouldn't necessarily trust her, but taking away her personality, I think she's qualified from a training standpoint. And I, Ransom... I, at the very least, he knows how to like do some fighty stuff. It's just everybody in that series was just so over the top, weird. And and I would say I will say yes, based on training and experience in in Starfleet. Yeah, I'd I'd probably trust him. But Michael also did, you know, she kind of mutiny. Mutiny. But anyway, so <laughs> we'll, we'll take her out. It's fine. Now then, change your mindset and say we have Tilly, 
regardless of rank, would you trust her in a high-pressure situation with your life? No. No. And that's the issue. She, she, she even says she hasn't been through the command program. She's an ensign. And Saru's, and this is where I have a big problem with Saru, his justification is basically, well, we've been through a lot. What but the hell so, does that mean? So has Everybody every on the ship other has. member of this crew has been through the wormhole in 900 years yeah. in time. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, my, that's my biggest problem with Saru, and that's my gigantic issue with this nomination, because I, I, I like Tilly. I actually do like Tilly, um, and I think it's a good representation of somebody who you know, does have anxiety, battles back. She's done good things in episodes. She took over, you know, the ship in the Terran universe. Mm -hmm. She's done great things. And I think it's great to highlight those things because there are a lot of people out there who do have issues with anxiety. They do have issues with confidence and they don't think that they can get there. But as long as you keep pushing, you definitely can. You can do whatever the heck you want. I mean, I've hired and trained and moved on a whole bunch of people in multiple industries. I know what people are capable of. But if you're telling me that right now, at her level of development, she is ready to become the first officer of the basically best-kept secret first response ship that they have in Starfleet right now, I would say you're absolutely nuts. Yeah, and if we go back to, what was it, uh, season one, like one of her, her conversations that she's having with, I believe it was Burnham, is she says something to the effect of, you know, there's something that um, people don't know about me, and that's... I'm going to be a captain someday type of thing. (laughs) And I'm like, great, great. You mean you got aspirations. I mean, like we all got aspirations. I would hope to something and maybe you will be captain, but not right now. I mean, like um, David, do you have, I mean, you were, I don't know if you pull up a list or you, or what, or I don't know if Eric has like a spreadsheet because I know he's, he loves his spreadsheets, but like, do we have like time in service at all like maybe we're making this a bigger deal than it is but like do we have time and service for like when like these respective officers became the, the number ones for their their ships um i know that Riker. it was like six years from graduating the academy to becoming the first officer of the enterprise it was like a meteoric rise mm-hmm. for Riker. but i i don't know for any of the other the other first officers mm-hmm yeah, but they also rode, rode through the ranks too. They did. Yeah, they, they had their they had their merits to continue to rise and, and so forth, and they were put in you know situations. But like, I always go back to Voyager and Harry Kim. Harry Kim, they were thrown into another quadrant. You know, was it seventy years away from home type of deal? At full at that, full speed, yeah. Yeah, at full speed. I mean, that's I mean that's a crazy scenario to put yourself in as well. I mean you're not like 900 years in the future or anything, but it's still nuts. Something that nobody deals with or nobody had really dealt with, and you know he continues to be Ensign Kim, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, I mean you could promote him, you could do other stuff with him, but you know he's still learning. He was a fresh ensign coming on this ship, right? So, yeah. and and I, I I. I was very critical of Tilly in season one. I was like, she's a middling and annoying character. But I do think that Tilly has been a character that we've seen a lot of growth in over yeah. the course of this. And and I know people try to watch television, sh- television and they, they want to see a character who 
who they can relate to. And I think Tilly is a character that a lot of people that watch Star Trek can relate to. Where I think, like, Wesley Crusher, I don't feel like is a character that a lot of people can relate to because he's so smart and he's so sure of himself and he's so good at everything. Whereas, you know, people that watch Star Trek, maybe they they don't have as much self-confidence. They're more introverted people and and they're not they're not one to to speak their mind or, or be comfortable in a group which is why i think like um um reg barkley is such an amazing character he's one of my favorite characters yeah. ever because i think so many people can if they, everyone would like to think that they'd be a picard or a Riker or a kirk but most the most people who watch star trek would probably <laughs> be more like reg barkley <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people can can see themselves in Tilly's position here. You know, she's, you know, she's got aspirations and she's got dreams. And like, as Chase said, that's a great thing to have. But I think like she understands her limitations at the beginning. And, and even in this moment right here, she says, are you choosing me because I'm qualified or because I'm compliant? And yeah. I th- I think that that's a really good insight that Tilly has is that Saru just picked Michael Burnham who just totally told him to f off, and now here he's he needs somebody that's just gonna do what he says, mm-hmm. and and Saru won't admit it, but I think that's part of the reason why Saru picked her. Yeah, but- and, and and I mean j- just. G- a little interject interjection here um you know because i i manage people for a living for a large bank procedural so not just command stuff because that's a big thing but like just the average average everyday procedural thing do you think tilly understands like everything a first officer has to do for a ship no no because that's a big responsibility she's never led a department she's never led a team she's never made a schedule she's never dealt with personnel conflict between people like these are all like you said procedural things that I was getting to in my it's like no <laughs> but bad. no but you make a good point because you have that experience is doing that yourself and she's never done any of these things right and and that's a big part like Chicote was responsible for like every shift on the on the crew and he every crew member reported to him I know they had their department heads but they could still go directly <laughs> to Chicote if they needed to and if we look back to um, Chain of Command, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic episode, I love it. That we have uh, what? How many people are on the Enterprise? The Enterprise D, a thousand, uh, something like that. Yeah, thereabouts, a thousand. Yeah. And and Captain Jellico comes in. He says, "Okay, you have to change from a three shift to a four shift rotation, and you have to get it done in like a day." Think about Tilly trying to manage that situation. Like, I think of how much yeah. problems. Biker has with that situation, yeah. right? And he was he was very well, um, very well, you know, suited for the role of of that. And, and like backing up just a second, you know, like with um, what we were just talking about, you know, relating to these characters. Like some of us wish we were like Picard or Riker or Kirk or whomever. And um, in fact, before we we uh, came in to you know have this conversation, gents, like. My wife was telling me how she typically will um, relate to, um, feel drawn to, like the the really awkward characters, like in a TV show or a movie. So, like she could, she kind of did connect with Tilly, um, but even she, who doesn't watch Star Trek, is annoyed with Tilly. 
Um, but I will say that the third season that, that we're in right now with Discovery, I think is the best season for Tilly so far. Um, I didn't like her in one, didn't really care for her in two, but so far three I've liked, accepting what we just went through. But but that's kind of nuanced. Like, yes, like, are you picking me because I'm qualified or because I'm compliant? Like, she's having more insight. She's kind of growing, but she's still an ensign. Like, I think... If anything, if Saru was really impressed with her, that maybe she would have warranted like a promotion to maybe JG. I mean, even though she's been an ensign for for a little bit, make her lieutenant junior grade. Or if we want to do a Mariner type of promotion, just promote her to full lieutenant. Just skip <laughs> junior grade altogether, and and make her like a shift lead or a department something or another. Give her some responsibility, like assistant to the captain or, or something, you know, give her some kind of opportunity to really flex her flex and develop these leadership traits that we need to be seeing from a number one. And I have a sneaking suspicion that one of two things is going to happen. And, and I've, I don't know if it's a trope or what, but anytime we hear like, Oh, it's only on an interim basis. That person ends up being the permanent replacement. Let's just be real. Yeah. And so I think it's that's going to happen. Either, you know, Tilly's going to stay on permanently as as first officer for Saru, or Burnham's going to come back and she's going to be number one all over again. Yeah, I think I think Burnham's going to save the day at the end of the season, and it all will be forgiven, just like it was at the end of season one. Well, now she feels like she belongs again. So. You know, when when you're when you're in a hundred percent, I mean, how could you possibly deny this whole vast? I, I actually, the, the, I actually like Burnham a little bit better than than you guys sometimes do, but I I, I still see I still see the point. <laughs> the va- the vacillation that she goes through, like with this, like do I or don't I belong? It's it's so, I'm so over it. I am so over it. Like. Like, before we get to that, I want to get to that, but can we just finish up the Tilly thing real quick? Oh, yeah. Sure. With the whole, the whole, oh, did I miss the cool say yes thing? Okay, <laughs> so, so these are Starfleet officers. I mean, I know Starfleet is not a military organization, but in any job, a lot of people have um, career ambitions, right? They want to be promoted. They want to move up the ladder, the corporate ladder, mm-hmm. the chain of command, whatever. We see that Riker basically um, six years, we said he went from out of the academy to becoming the first officer of the Federation flagship. We see that he left behind in that episode Second Chances. We learn that he left behind Deanna Troy, the love of his life, because his career was more important to him at that moment in time. Um, so do you believe for one second that this entire bridge crew, Detmer, Awusakun, Bryce, Reese, um, Nilsson, that all of them would be okay getting passed over and not having the chance to be promoted and move up the chain of command and further their career for some green ensign that was a cadet in season one? Because I don't believe that for one second. Well, I mean, if this was built like a standard Star Trek crew, and I'm just talking about a series crew, not just a Starfleet crew, this is like a, this is a, this is a warship that is ran by a science crew. 
you know, and, and I think that if you were to put like a normal, um, a normal crew in this position that we see, we've seen in how many series have we had, then yeah, that would absolutely be the case. But this isn't a crew, it's a family. Mm-hmm. And that can be a little annoying, but like, I, I just, I think that that's the way it's going to be for this show. And I, and I think that if you expect it to be like a standard Star Trek crew, I think you're going to be sorely, sorely, you know, angry about that or whatever, or mistaken, because it's just not, it's just not the way they're building it. But yeah, you're right. If this were any other crew, I would absolutely say, yeah, man, I mean, they're, (laughs) <laughs> There's got to be some ambition. I mean, like Nielsen, for God's sake. I mean, she's been on the con, you know. She's been the default con officer, you know, when the captain steps away. If that were me, I'd be like, wait a minute. Have I just been, have, have I just been knocked down? What, 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 what's going on here? But yeah, like I was next in line. That should be me. Like, do you, do you guys think, you know, and this kind of is kind of like a, a joke, I guess, at this point. But, you know, we do the roll call in season two with like, okay, who are you type of thing. Do you think we're going to have a roll call part two in season four where we finally figure out like what the the structure is of the ship? Like who does what? Who's number one? Who's number two? That kind of thing. Like who nice. the apartment heads are? That'd be nice just from a viewer perspective so we can actually understand like the layout of this crew. Yeah. I mean, right? I mean, what does Stamets do? He's the chief spore guy. He puts his hands in goo and flies the ship. He's the nav, but like, like the spore drive is perfected by now, right? They've got it perfected. Should be. So his whole, his job was to make the spore drive work in season one. But now that it works, what does he do? Does he, does he like do engineering stuff? Like, does he just do routine maintenance on it? Or does he just sit around twiddling his thumbs, waiting until they need to jump somewhere? Right. Because even... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jason. I was going to say, like, you know, we, we know that there's a spore drive, but has there been anything stated on the show? And I'm, I'm genuinely asking this, where we know for a fact that there is or there is not a warp drive. There, like, there's no, there is or there isn't a warp core of some kind. Well, there's definitely a warp drive. I mean, like with the nacelles, like that they have, like there should be, right? But like we've only ever seen the spore hub, like the room oh, where oh. all the things happen. But we, but and we do, we don't know like what the heck's going on with engineering apart from like Jet Reno making an appearance here and there and maybe climbing or having someone else climb through a Jeffrey's tube and being snarky about something. But like, well, well we saw in season one where. They were ordered back from Pavo, right? They were at the Pavo with the, the giant signal receiver. Mm-hmm. And they were ordered to, like, go back to meet the Federation. And Lorca said, engage the warp drive to take us back there instead of the spore drive. And then he's like, we need a good excuse for why we didn't spore jump back there and why we just used the warp drive. Did either of you get a little uneasy the first time that Stamets made the jump with the new goo. Like they I don't just for me, they uh they they really hyper focused on that just for a little bit longer than I would have expected. I was like, oh God, did they make a mistake? Is he gonna jump to the mirror universe again? (laughs) (laughs) Something something bad gonna happen. We we, (laughs) all all the all the Vulcans have mustaches in this episode now. 
including the ladies. <laughs> no, I, I, I did. I did notice that how he like there was some apprehension sticking his hands in there, and like then he twisted them forward. It's like, ooh, <laughs> something gonna go wrong. But um, even with but uh, another point I was gonna make, even with Stamets when he's in his you know little world, you do see him giving orders to people. So it's not like he's just he's just like oh I'm just here to water my spores today. He, he does actually like kind of have some authority there at least, but apparently not enough to, you know, he's just down in Sporeland. It's fine. <sighs> well, thank you, Ensign Fogel, for that. Thank you. That first rousing. officer. I, I would appreciate you to, uh, Ensign, first officer, thank you. First officer, Ensign Fogel, got it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be promoted next week. It'll be great. <laughs> we'll make you an admiral next week. <laughs> yeah. Because why not, right? Just jump a few ranks, because who cares? Uh, one, one more thing, and sorry, just before we... Um, Actually talk be, about other like, stuff. I, yeah, <laughs> b- because I, I kind of made a small point of it earlier. What do you think Admiral Vance's reaction would be to Tilly being made the first officer of his fancy response ship? Are you out of your mind? Here's the thing. I, you know, I liked Admiral Vance the first time we saw him. I'm not liking him so much anymore. I think he's made some really poor decisions. But he was like, last week he said, you can run your own ship. You can discipline your own people how you see fit. And, like, I understand that idea of letting someone run their own ship and promote people and choose their own command staff. But, as you said, this is the first response ship, the best kept secret, you know, our special weapon here. And yeah, I don't think this is going to fly all that well with him. No, it wouldn't with me. No, no, I, I, I see if anything, he might get pretty, pretty ticked off and maybe he will be like, here, you need Ensign Willow, like have at it. I mean, with her... Did you I mean, just he, demote her? Ensign, Lieutenant. You just called sorry. her Ensign. God, you, stop <laughs> demoting people. It's fine. It's fine. Why not? No, Lieutenant Willa. Uh, I mean, because at least with her, I mean, yes, she's a lieutenant. Like, we don't know if she's JG or not, but... But she's she's the Admiral. Exactly. The CNC of Starfleet's XO. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and she's, I mean, she's directly seeing, like, all the nuances of leadership and stuff. So it would make sense for the quality of that lieutenant to be, you know, a first officer compared to an ensign who, you know, does her bleeps and bloops on a hollow pad looking at star charts and whatever else she does. And, so. and, and just one more thing. Um, we know that Picard became a full four pip admiral. Like that. Right. Like very fast. And Rafi Musikar was his executive officer. Mm-hmm. And she was a, what, a, a lieutenant commander? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, y- y- you can't have, like, Lieutenant Willa is a lieutenant. Okay, that's fine. M- Rafi was the lieutenant commander, right? Same idea as being the first officer to a big, you know, bigwig general or mm-hmm. admiral. It makes a little bit more sense, though, in this universe or in this time. Because, I mean, I would assume that, you know, they keep saying resources are pretty thin anyway, so maybe they needed 
superior, you know, these these more tenured officers for ships or something like that. So yeah, that does that that rank never really bothered me. But plus, I actually kind of like the character, and I and I think that she even had some bonding mo- moments with this crew too. Mm-hmm. So like she was it, just, it, that, that's why I, I was thinking it's like, well, just throw her in here. She'd be a cool you know person to put in, or just pick up your flipping commander that you sent off in the seed ship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said the same thing last week too. <laughs> why? Yeah. Why not? Not. But like you know, I think there's a great opportunity here. Um, and if the, if Kurtzman and company is is um, this is going to come off as a little mean. But if if they're so concerned about like the nostalgia factor and you know taking plays from the playbook of of like older Trek, like 80s, 90s, even original 60s Trek, then why not take a play straight out of the Voyager handbook? right the voyager playbook where you got to merge stuff right you got we had to merge uh, federation we had to uh, merge uh, starfleet with the maquis in the form of janeway and chakotay why the heck not give give the lieutenant a promotion to lieutenant commander make her the number one and that way you're bridging not only the gap of like the vacuum that you're in with this position, but you're also bridging the gap of like history because she's well versed in what the devil's going on. I well, mean, they tried, they tried to do that two episodes ago when they first showed up at Starfleet and they were like, they're breaking up the crew. We, and he's like, the Admiral's like, we need to reintegrate your crew and assign new personnel. And everyone yeah. like, no, you can't break up our family. We're a family. You can't break us up. And we're the only ship. This is your first response ship. You need people who are experienced on this ship. And you can't you can't break us up. You can't put new people here who don't know what the hell is going on. I would have I broken that ship up so fast. Oh, oh, I would have just destroyed that family it's, if it were I, me. But I'm I'm evil. I'm but I think you're, yeah, you're you're cold and heartless. But yeah. I, but but even even beard. so, it's even the beard. Yeah, you're from the mirror universe. We're all from the We area. all have beards. Because so. <laughs> <laughs> only facial hair exists in the mirror universe, apparently. <laughs> oh, good grief. Okay, but but maybe there there's a case for it then as opposed to now because like you had uh, you had some semblance of structure on like you know a couple episodes back. Like you at least had a number one, right? Um, you at least had like some semblance of a, of a chain of command that you were seeing um, when they first meet up with the Federation. But now it's like, well, Burnham done messed up, so she got fired. And now we're asking an ensign to take on this position. Mm, you're, y'all, are really, y'all are really screwing this one up, man. So, like, here, have this lieutenant. We're going to promote her, Lieutenant Commander Willa. Boom. And plus, new character. Why the heck not? I mean, what well, happened? Well, well, if you get, if you get you no fire, introducing new characters, I want to learn more about the characters who are already here. But Eric, don't no, you know we don't, don't do that, that anymore? <laughs> we don't do that anymore, my dude. No backstories for you. Not until we do another roll call with the next captain of the Discovery. Okay. Man. <laughs> okay. Like. Can we talk about Michael Burnham now? Oh, the A story? You want to talk yeah. about yeah, the main about story? <laughs> well, we did that a couple weeks ago when we went to the Trill World, where we talked yeah. about Thanksgiving dinner and the ship, the B plot, to death. Like, we should get to the A plot now. 
<clears throat> Go ahead and kick us off, Eric. Well, Chase, before I, I stopped you, you were going to be like, Michael Burnham, am I here? Am I in? Am I out? Am I waffling back and forth this year, this one year that I spent away from the crew has caused such an existential crisis in my life, and I don't know what kind of a person I am anymore, and I don't know if I belong in this command structure. You are not Tom Hanks alone for five years on an island by yourself, okay? <laughs> Seriously. It was we... one year. It was one year, and Book was basically there with you the whole time. So you had... Wait. You had some kind of structure. You had someone you could rely on. And Wait, like, is book is book even real? Is he Wilson? <laughs> Has she just gone crazy? Book is a well. If book is she's Wilson, been talking then to everybody else. Then everybody else is hallucinating as well. <laughs> <laughs> it is the thirty second like, century. Like we get this. We we open with this Michael Burnham supplemental log entry. I don't know if I belong here. As if they haven't told us this enough does michael burnham belong here or not and she runs into the arms of book and they have this intimate moment where this is there's no way this is the first time that they were intimate together like i don't believe that for one bit i believe that they were relying on each other a bunch in this life-changing year away but then we have like a book hang this lantern for her mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's like you have this messianic complex and you know um colber said it a couple weeks ago you're a responsibility hoarder and it's totally obvious that they're doing this because by the end of the episode michael burnham will be all in with the federation and discovery it's pretty obvious if you've watched any television or movies before yeah no he, I, it, it, it did seem fairly obvious yeah one thing, one thing though, and and just very very short aside because it doesn't really need to be talked to death. But but book, I actually like book. I actually think he's a cool character. Do you think he joins the crew? Do you think he'll be the number one? <laughs> the cat, the cat's number one. I think the answer to the question is no, because I think book is is too much of a loner. And too much of a, I'm gonna be able to do my own thing, and I don't accept authority. However, <laughs> just 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 take a little bit into consideration. Ash Tyler, the former love interest, also had a very nutty backstory, and he kept coming back when he probably shouldn't have been there at all. After he, you know, we kind of discover he's, you know, he's a, he's a Klingon. Anyway. Um, all I'm saying is, is that the guys in Michael Burnham's life are very attached to her. And I think that just judging by their language, I feel like he's going to try and stick around. Oh, I think he's going to stick around, but he's not going to become a member of the Discovery crew proper. Hmm. We'll see. I was, David, to be fair, I was thinking that, that thing, that same thing too. Like, you know, there's the line of you feel like home. Um, that he says to yeah. to Michael, and he says that at the end of the episode, right? He does. Yeah, yeah. you feel like home, yeah. and uh, and then like anyway, I, I I have a sneaking suspicion that he's probably going to stay on board, 
some kind of advisor. Maybe he'll be a Section 31 representative, get an official insignia new, thing. New Neelix. Yeah, he'll be the new Neelix. He'll be the official ambassador, chief morale officer, and cook for the Discovery. Instead of having like those weird, funky TV dinners that we see all the time. And he'll open up a petting zoo. Okay. Fun for so all listen. the kids. So listen, why is Michael Burnham going with Saru to brief the Admiral? Like, after she's just been demoted, why does he take her with him? Why doesn't, why doesn't Saru just say, okay, you brief me and I'll go brief the Admiral? Because this doesn't, it seems like he didn't really punish her. He's like right back, she's right back yeah. there with him talking to the Admiral. I was wondering the same thing. Like, you literally just fired her. And unless, hold on, unless, I mean, let's remember that he still wants to keep Ron as chief science officer. Okay. So maybe this is like like him sciencing his way, justifying his way into taking her to go meet with Vance, which I don't agree with, but that's the way I can see it happening. Maybe his thought process. Listen, guys, it's all about the burn. It's always all about the burn. Everything you do. Who is the savior of the burn? Burn him. <laughs> okay, so then, so then the admiral is like, she's like, the admiral's not my biggest fan right now. But then he's like, but no, you're the only person who can do this because you're Michael Burnham. Like... You're Spock's brother. Like, you're the only person who can do this. Like, the Admiral, man, he switches his tune on Burnham from when he was, like, not her biggest fan to now she's, like, the only person capable of doing this. I, I don't know, though. I, the, the, basically, going into the mission to, um, I already forgot the planet. Navarre. Navarre. Okay, sorry. I forget things. <laughs> but it, to me, it actually feels more logical for her because of her connection to the Vulcan, to her Vulcan past. So that, I, I understand what you're saying, but to me that, that seemed maybe not prudent, but somewhat logical because they are living in Spock's future. She is Spock's brother. We've, we're obviously trying to make the connection that her compassion or whatever uh, had changed Spock for the better. That was kind of tied in there. And she also was a graduate of the Science Academy, so to be honest, I kind of, I didn't but, really have a huge like, problem. But but hold on, like, but hold on, hold on, Eric. But just just to kind of tag onto that, David. Like, I know we're kind of messing with the timeline right now with this particular episode, but when Saru and Burnham walked in, they didn't know anything about Navarre or Vulcan yeah. or nothing. So, like the, that the the Vulcan yeah. and Navarre thing didn't even pop up until well into that conversation. So again. Why the devil do we bring Burnham in if we don't even know about this Vulcan connection? Now, maybe the fact that she did graduate from the Vulcan Science Institute, you know, she was raised by Sarek and, and alongside Spock. Okay, sh cool. That's a cool connection, I guess, um, for maybe a justification for what maybe comes about later on this episode. But again, it doesn't make sense in the here and now when this is actually taking place for her to actually be there. And well, I, I, yeah, and, and my whole thing is, no, she's not going to know about Navarre and everything, but the Admiral does, and she's there because she has this information about the burn. 
and because she's the showrunner. And clearly it can't just be Saru. Right. Or or <laughs> Nielsen or Awusakun. <laughs> yeah. There's no other scientists on the ship. Like the, it, yeah, it's a science vessel capable of doing a hundred different science experiments at one time, but there's no other science people. <laughs> None. So like, okay, so I have a big problem with what happens next. Okay, it's a problem with Michael Burnham, and it's a problem with Saru. When we jump to Navarre, this this the president Tarina comes up and says, "Nope." It's good to see you here, but nope, not giving you the SB19 data. Nope, not happening. And Michael Burnham, in that moment, has the exact same reaction she had last week when Saru said, no, we can't go rescue books. She's like, what? What? How dare you say no to me? How dare you say no? I'm Michael Burnham. I'm Michael mother effing Burnham. How dare you say no to me? And she like, the shocked look on her face when people continue to tell her no is i i don't understand this like how but, do you but Eric, how do you not realize that people are not just going to say yes to you you're not even though the showrunners and the show writers have made it out this way you're not the most important person in the universe but eric she hasn't had her healing moment yet okay so she clearly has to act the same way on every episode until she has her healing moment. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's, there's, her actions now, I said it last week, are no different than her actions in season one, episode one. Yeah. Like, she is so incredulous to people telling her no. And it just, there's, like, we hit reset on all of the character development that we made throughout the entire course of this show. Yeah. And we are literally right back where we started with her. And, and it is super, super frustrating. And the, the, um, with her invoking the to Colin Kett, um, was her, was a, a Vulcan way of saying, no, you're going to do what I want you to do type of thing. Yeah. Cause, cause yeah. It, like, like she says, I, then I invoked Colin Cat, and Tarina goes, "Well, I'll, you know, get a quorum ready." And she goes away, and Saru turns to her and cocks his head and is like, "Commander," he might as well have said, "Bitch," jeez, oh, <laughs> like that's what might as well have been what he said, because he was like, "Excuse me," like what did you just do? What did you just get us into? And she's like. Oh, I invoked an, an ancient ritual, which she can't say no to. So you mean you forced her hand to doing exactly what you wanted to? Mm -hmm. At that point, I would have been like, get off my bridge. Like, you are no longer welcome on board the bridge of this ship. You can do your science duties from your lab and elsewhere, but you have just pulled the same stunt, like, in back-to-back -back episodes, like, in a short period of time, you're no longer welcome on my bridge. And I think Saru needs to be more forced. Could you imagine if somebody had done that to Janeway? She would have oh, been like, had a my, ready my ready room now. And she would have ripped him ripped him or her apart. But Saru is just like, oh, so you forced her hand? Okay, no big deal. And, and j just just because it was before this, I, I did want to just make a little note of it. I did like the whole little hollow image of Spock 
when he's you know the the capture from unification when Burnham's mm-hmm. watching that mm-hmm. I did think that that was actually really cool by the way so yeah, yeah. definitely it was it was good it was it was very good seeing Spock once again but <clears throat> I want to say I want to say the way that they made it out to like Michael Burnham is responsible for all the good things Spock has done and like the person that he became didn't sit well with me. I don't know if that's where you were going. Eventually, oh, I was no, going I, to. I, I, sorry. Yeah, I was just saying I like the scene. <laughs> no, I like I like seeing Spock, but I like seeing all the characters that we see whenever we see them. Like the original Captain Pike, that was cool. You know, seeing him in season two, that was cool. Um, I feel like I'm really flirting with angry nerd troll right now. Um, I, my wife, well, my, my, my wife brought this up, um, as we were eating breakfast, you know, and, um, getting ready for the day that her not being as much of an Uber fan as I am, right? Like she has an appreciation for it, but she's not in love with it. Like I am, like we are, even she's like why is there so much focus on nostalgia and bringing in all these other characters? Like, why not just like focus on the characters that there are is essentially what she was saying. Like, she's like, I love Spock. You love Spock. We all love Spock, but why is it so much about Spock? I mean, like we see him in the JJ movies we see. And then, you know, of course, like this whole episode, like is a Spock thing, but I'm kind of in agreement with her. Like, why, why are we, focusing a lot on on Spock this and Spock that like Star Trek is much more than just you know Spock a Vulcan well I would I would answer that by saying Spock is essentially Star Trek's Wolverine right it's like one of the, like the, the sure. popular character that everyone loves no one no one dislikes Spock everyone loves him just like everyone loved Wolverine and Wolverine and when they made the movies was every single storyline was about him right and he's got all these standalone movies and all this stuff and everything was about him and it's like i would say like boba fett is in the same kind of situation is like i don't why does everything have to be about him like he's but he's an incredibly popular character and let's bring him back but yeah well i definitely want to revisit what you were saying just a moment ago eric about the comment regarding Spock and his greatness. But so to Colin Kett is invoked and it's, it's a means to try and get this data that the, the newly, or not really newly, but to us, this newly formed society, right? Like the Vulcan Romulan society, right? Navarans, um, have have come together. They've finally unified, which was Spock's dream, like we were talking about in the very beginning. And there's this thing called SB. Uh, was it 119? I believe. I think it's just 19. SB 19, um, which was like this, like this kind of workaround for being able to like travel faster than like like instantaneous type of travel because of the burn and or, or stuff going on like with space travel at that time. And anyways there's been a lot of like this blame game going on a lot of hurts that have occurred and federation has blamed vulcans and like the society and etc etc i know it's like vulc it's navar i'm just saying vulcans 
just for the sake of it. Um, a lot, lot of butt hurt with that and kind of unsure about like the shades of gray, like what the heck's going on with that. And anyways, Navar, the president of Navar is very skeptical and just almost just straight up like reserved with like, no, we're not, we're not giving you this data because we, we've already got been blamed enough for, for stuff. We don't need to be blamed anymore, basically. So that's where that's the part of the justification behind to Colin Kett because Michael's like, hey, I got this, I got this evidence that it wasn't y'all, that it, it it wasn't like all at once that there it happened at different points in time and without your information we can't unravel this. So to Colin Kett, yo, like let's let's go meet in the mess hall and, and get down to business. Can we talk just briefly about this evidence thing? So she had three points of reference from black boxes that she's collected. Mm-hmm. How many, uh, uh, what was the episode called when the, when the enterprise and this was, um, next gen, when they were trapped in that, uh, uh, that old school, like f- field thing. I can't, gosh, I, I'm really forgetting. My, that. I think it was season two. Booby trap. And, and, yeah, it was, bo- yeah. The, the booby trap thing where Jordy ran all the simulations and then he, you know, made up his girlfriend in the holodeck and everything. Mm-hmm. So how many simulations do you think he did to try and come up with a solution to that problem? Like how many points of reference do you think he used to come up with a, with a, a solution? Because like, I understand that there is some data here that's very interesting, but she's using like three reference points. We're talking about fractions of, you know, seconds here in between, you know, I guess it was like, you know, starships exploding and whatnot. But I think the Vulcans make a pretty good point here where it's like, you know, how, how shaky does this seem? You know, how rushed does this seem to you guys or, or does it not? I was thinking, uh, I was thinking of, so. I was thinking of um, another sci-fi show that I really enjoy when I was hearing like some of this stuff play out um, Stargate Stargate yeah, SG-1 mm-hmm. yeah and what is it it's um, you need six, six points plus plus an origin right because it's three dimensional space so they would have needed I mean if we're going off the Stargate concept like and just like spatial stuff and I'm not a physicist or any of that math stuff that's Eric I'm gonna that's what he gets paid for is the math and the <laughs> physics of this I mean, he graduated from the Daystrom Institute for crying out loud, so um, he knows this stuff. Anyway, like you need that, and they only have half of the puzzle. Now, maybe the people of Navarre have like the other three or enough to fill in the gaps, but I mean, like Tilly so astutely pointed out, yeah, in two D space, this is enough, but it's there's just too much of the unknown to be able to know what the devil's going on with where this is. Like it would take too many lifetimes without these like other, other data to be able to fill in the blanks. So yeah, it was very rushed to, to, to your, your point uh, to your question, David, that, you know, why we got three black boxes, which I have questions about like, how do we have three intact black boxes if ships went boom, but don't think. Because black boxes are designed to survive any type of destruction. <sighs> wow. But they're just floating stop, there. Stop making plot holes. But they're just like just, floating just there. Like these tiny little sticks, like that big. 
Yeah. <laughs> like the size of a crayon. Not 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 the super expensive like big big ones. Like I'm talking about like the standard crayons, man. Anyway, yeah, there there I had I took some issue with that um, because heaven forbid you think in in Star Trek. Anyways, Eric, I think yeah. you were going to say something before I started rambling. Well, well, we have this really interesting setup for a courtroom drama, right? That's what this episode is building to. And Star Trek has done courtroom drama very well, right? We have, like, Court Martial, Wolf in the Fold from the original series, The Measure of a Man, Drumhead from some Next Generation. Uh, we've got Rules of Engagement is a fantastic courtroom-style episode in Deep Space Nine. We've got Death Wish from Voyager. Got a lot of good courtroom drama. Um, and so I was excited. I was like, we're going to have some good courtroom drama, some back and forth, some, some negotiating and, and some arguing point, counterpoint. And we totally didn't get that. And I was like, like, what happened here? Because, like, one guy had, came in there and said, the Vulcan logic purist was like, nope, my mind is shut down. And then the one lady was like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm just going to waffle back and forth. And the other guy was like, I'll give you the data whether they want to or not. And it's yeah. like, it was like, this was supposed to be a forum for logic and listening and talking back and forth and great courtroom drama. And it just wasn't that. Mm. And I was very disappointed because... Well, uh because, I mean, we totally glossed over this point, but Michael Burnham has an advocate. It's and her, her who is mama. her advocate? It's her mama. Her mama is it's now mama. a warrior nun. Yeah, and like, I was like, Romulan warrior ninja nuns? Like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, I was nuns. very, I was very critical of that concept when we got it way back when. But like, I, this is not a courtroom drama. This is a open therapy session between a mother and a daughter. Like that's but, what this is I, all about, and that's obvious that that's what this episode was intended to be. And the courtroom drama really didn't matter. Yeah, but her her mother did kind of warn her a little bit of that in the in the beginning, and it, it was much more of like a um, a cultural war between the sort of the the members, you know, the Vulcan Romulans, the Romulans, and then the Vulcan purists. So it was kind of, at least for me, I kind of thought about that. Well, okay, they're probably not going to listen very much because they have their own little war going on here. And, but yeah, you're right. It did turn into the healing chat, you know, healing uh, whatever of the century. But I will say one thing. I think that it is important for people to go to their to their parents and their grandparents and actually find the truth of situations they're in. Um, I, I feel like there is a little bit nowadays where a lot of younger folks leave their elders behind a little bit too much. And there's a lot you can learn from your elders. They're old. They've been through a lot of things. You should learn from that. In this particular story, what we wind up seeing is Michael's mother calling her on her BS and, you know, specifically pointing out like in all those, those <clears throat> courtroom style episodes, we didn't get the readout of like their, all oh, their ranks and commissions and their awards and stuff. But what we did get was a readout of the faults of Michael Burnham. Like, you know, didn't you uh, mutiny against your captain in which, you know, so that you could uh, deal with the Klingons yourself. 
didn't your captain die? This, that, the other. So she was very well informed about, you know, who Michael is and laid that bare in a court or a whatever tribunal or a quorum because truth is supposed to be the center of trust. And how can you expect us to trust you, even with this data or just with communication, if you can't be truthful for yourself? So although it is very self-serving towards Michael, I do like the fact that we laid a lot of these things bare that we've been talking about for so long to do with Michael's character. Yeah. Because those have been very yeah annoying no i get that and, and i'm gonna i want to ask you a question chase like there's the point where after after michael burnham's mother does this they they're in her quarters and michael's like i understand what you were trying to do like i get it and i don't even understand this was necessary but you picked a hell of a time to be a parent and maybe you could have done it in a different different situation. And this is where I want to ask Chase, as somebody who, you know, <laughs> is you know works with people and helps the and you know is a therapist. Um, time and place, and was that the right time and the right place to lay all that bear on Michael Burnham? No, My, me personally, no. No, I mean, I think that there's a lot to be said, like praise in public, punish in private type of thing you know um i think that's like a very basic like leadership kind of thing i think it's a very basic like relational thing like you don't you know fight in front of the kids so to, i mean you, you should fight in front of your kids by the way like so that they know what conflict looks like but um no i don't think that this whole whole bit about you know airing everyone's dirty laundry airing michael burnham's dirty laundry at the Colin Kett was appropriate for um, for Gabrielle Burnham to do at all. I, I think, you know, like, because she says that, you know, like, uh, Michael Burnham says that, like, hell of a time to, you know, be a parent or do parenting uh, right there at the Colin Kett. I mean, if that would have happened in, the, in her quarters, been much more appropriate. Having, like, a cup of tea or something would have been much more appropriate. But, but at the same time, you know, what's really going to push Michael to, you know, to, to really open up and be honest. And, and it's going to take something pretty drastic. So uh, Gabrielle really sees that and takes advantage of it. Do, I mean, sometimes you got to do some like pretty, pretty crazy stuff to really evoke change. And, and maybe that's the motivation behind what, what Gabrielle was seeing, like with her daughter, like I, I, I failed you basically as a mother by, by essentially giving you up and being raised by Vulcans. Um, but I, there could have been a b better way of doing it. Like maybe in like the corridor, like they were kind of talking, right? Like, like before, during and after the trial, so to speak, or after the quorum. So kind of a ramble, but that's kind of how I was seeing it. Well, I mean, and I'm, I'm obviously not, you know, versed in a lot of this stuff, but when you have a person who, refuses to be honest with themselves uh, a, a cup of tea with mom okay I could see that working but she's also not just her mother I mean she is an advocate and she is trying to get to the truth the bluntness of truth in this you know so that it can work out between all parties and if Michael isn't willing to be truthful with them it's her job to make her truthful now is it great mothering no probably not 
but she did her job for right. this particular procedure, though. Yes, she did. And but to to Eric's point, like Eric was asking, like time and place. Like, did I think it was the right time and place? No, but with with her job as as advocate as this Kuat Malat representative, yes, it worked. But do I think the time and place was appropriate in like the grand scheme of things? No, I don't. I think I think it's I think you can have both. I think both both situations can be correct. Yes, it was appropriate in this sense, but it was inappropriate in this one also. That's fair. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so we get to Colin Kett. Michael Burnham says after this big, big mothering thing, getting to the truth, she withdraws her request and says, listen... You can't trust me, that's fine. I'll choose to trust you. I'll give you all of my data, everything that I find, I'm gonna keep working. You give me your data, you don't give me your data, it doesn't matter. This is how I'm gonna prove to you that I am truthful. And apparently it works because as as Burnham's mother said, this quorum is not the only audience in the room. And President Tarina ends up, I think, does she do? Does she have approval to do this, or do you think President Tarina goes behind everyone's back and gives this data? Um, I mean, they were originally going to her to begin with, weren't they? Like with trying to get the information. Yeah, but but she's she's the president, but she has, still has people that she is responsible to, and she doesn't have the authority to just hand over this data on her own, right? She has to get approval. I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe it's it's like a lot of government pol- political stuff, like you know, the president. I mean, we don't know what the structure is of this government, but the president can make the final decision. But I mean, does she does she or doesn't she need the authorization from from Congress, from the representatives, from the the council, you know, to make said decisions, like? president can't declare war only congress can do that in the united states but yet we had bush kind of do that in the early 2000s yeah and i that's the, I, I don't know the answer but to me i kind of felt like the president did do this unauthorized and that's why she gave the data to burnham's mother to deliver and it wasn't like delivered officially mm-hmm. yeah maybe I mean, a lot of the suit the soothing of of, of ambassador saru here really uh help winner over two they had some pleasant conversations they did they, they did. did yeah walking through the corridors at night well it may not be night you're in space it's fine <laughs> <laughs> oh man are we done with this episode yet uh, i think so <laughs> okay <laughs> next week on okay okay all right so we're at the point of the show where we gotta assign um, a rating, like we always do, for um, for each episode that we view. And uh, anyways, we go from a 1 to a 10. 1 being a dumpster fire to 10 being absolutely amazing. So I'm really interested to see how we rate this dang episode. And I feel like we're going to be all over the place. So with that, um, who wants to start? Eric? You got a look on your face, man. Let's start with you, bud. Oh, oh man. Okay, so 
I gave last week's episode a five, you five point and it. I was like, this episode is garbage. It, one of the worst episodes of the entire run of the show, and this episode is worse than last week's episode in my mind. This episode is complete and total garbage. Like this, this is one of the maybe half a dozen worst episodes of the entire show. Like it is awful, 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 awful. Okay. Michael Burnham is the center of the world, apparently. The most important being to ever exist in this galaxy. Like, every single thing revolves around her. And goddamn her messianic complex is annoying, annoying, annoying. And I, I have this theory, I don't know if, if any other have thought of it, or if it's like total, total nonsense, but we have speculated that the burn you know burn is short for burnham and we speculate that did michael burnham cause the the burn and do you think she suspects that she has caused the burn and that's why she is on this this messianic quest to discover what caused the burn and I don't care if I burn down every bridge in front of me or behind me, I'm going to figure this out because maybe I'm responsible for it. It's possible. Possible. I mean, whew, okay. So I'm thinking this is a thought I have, and this is maybe where they're heading to, which I think would be a terrible storyline, by the way. Um, but we've seen Star Trek do courtroom drama. I said so well. But that's totally not what this episode is about. This episode is just about Burnham dealing with her personal and emotional baggage. And quite frankly, I'm sick of it. Like, and I also feel like the writers think that every time you do emotion, you need people to cry and hug. And like, I'm getting really sick of this professional crew crying every single episode over like all of these things that are happening. And I just want them to act in a more professional way. And goddamn, I hate this episode. Like, I hate this episode. Like, I'm going to give it a 5.0 as well, just like I gave last week's. But that's a generous, generous 5.0. Okay. First, first officer, Ensign David Fogel. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the, uh, the respect you give to my post and my current rank. It's <laughs> great. Um, so I, I'm not quite as hard on it, I, I, I don't think. Um, there are parts that I enjoy. There are parts that I don't enjoy. I, I think we're, we're, trying, we're trying way too hard uh, with Tilly. I think that... I'll, I'll say this. It, this. This episode would probably garner a much lower score if we continue with the with like the Michael Burnham not belonging thing. Like if we've nipped that in the bud in this episode, I, I, I would be okay with that. But if we continue that, I would probably have to issue a revised rating because in that sense, we would have done everything in this episode for nothing because it was very centric upon not so much um, finding the truth or finding what's up with the burn or uniting a, a clearly broken planet, but attempting to absolve a broken person so if that's not where we put the nail in the coffin here then I would go much lower but 
I I did like seeing our different, you know, our Romulans and our uh, Romulan Vulcans and our Vulcans, you know, their interactions. I, I, I like the idea of this planet and where it could go. We didn't really get that, unfortunately. Um, and I, and I just, I think that, I think that I'm trying to come to grips with a show that is very, very clearly not, uh, ever going to be like any other Star Trek series that I've watched, which in a way is semi, uh, disconcerting to me because I've seen a lot of Trek. Um, so for me, I'm probably going to put this in like a six, five area. It's certainly not a, a great episode. Um, it's, it's fine, but there are some things that I definitely like, and there are th- some things that I dislike. Now, if I were to have more episodes where we're constantly dealing with this battle of psyche for Michael Burnham, then I would probably fall into the mid five range, like a five five, because at that point you just wasted an episode of development, like actual development, for nothing. So I hope that's not the case. Sure. So I, I was I was telling the gents, um, before like normally whenever we prepare for these shows, um, I can't speak for for David and Eric, but um, most of the time we will watch these, you know, at least two maybe three times to make sure that we've like we're well versed in it and stuff like that uh, before we have a discussion, and. My first time watching this, like my blood was boiling the entire time. Like it was, my blood was boiling the entire time I was watching this. And I, I started watching it a uh, second time and I got maybe five to 10 minutes in and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this again. So I didn't even make it through a full second watch through. Um, there was just. I think I think we've aired all the things that need to be talked about uh, when it comes to this particular episode, and I just really, really dislike this episode. Um, I would rather watch Threshold all day on repeat than watch this episode again. Yikes. <laughs> um and I'm about to do an engage first. I'm about to have a, 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 a rating lower than Eric's. So for me, I would give this a one, but there were some pretty decent episodes or different. Uh, there were some semi-decent moments in it. Uh, but like some of like the, the major issues I was having was Michael is the source of Spock's success. Not cool with that. Not at all. Not cool with that at all. Um, the whole Tilly situation and her being an ensign and being the, the, whether she's acting or not, first officer, not cool with that. Um, I actually looked at IMDb and um, the overall average rating for IMDb is a 6.9. And um, there are 114 votes for a rating of a 1. So that's 13.6% of the vote is a one rating for this. And for me, I'm going to give this a four and a half. I hated this episode. Um, I can't, I, I don't, I can't justify giving it much lower than a four, four or five, but I just don't 
I can't stand this episode. I never want to see this episode ever again, which really sucks because it's Unification 3. I think if it were called anything else, um, it would probably maybe be a little bit better. But because you have all the lore and the history writing with it, with Unification 1 and 2, with an amazing story and an amazing movie that ties to it, it I think it just puts um, the hopes really high for it. And um, it's just a to me, it's a major letdown. I know every like there's 22.3 percent of the vote on IMDb that's giving it a, a 10, 14.1 percent giving it a nine, and 15.4 percent giving it an eight. So obviously there are people that enjoyed it, right? I mean that's like what 40 some odd percent of people giving it a pretty high rating. I'm not one of them. Um, I think my track record with like rating the episodes has been pretty fair. Like I've given some pretty high and some generous ratings in the past. So this is my first really low rating. Like I'm lower than Eric. Like, and I know Eric can be pretty critical. I can be pretty critical myself, but this is, this is bad, man. This, I never want to see this episode again. Yeah. Yeah. We mentioned this last week. We were like unification part three. Maybe this is the episode where you bring out your big guns, right? Maybe this is where you bring out Jonathan Frakes to direct it. Maybe this is where you bring out Hanel Culpepper. I mean, this episode was directed by an editor. This The person who directed it has like four directing credits on IMDb. He's just a film editor. And this is probably not the episode that you, you give to somebody like that. Um, and c c from where we were, like episode one, like we were all very high on episode one. Oh, yeah. I gave episode one of this season the highest rating of any of all of us. And I said ep episode one, even though that was a Michael Burnham centric episode, right? Where it was all about Michael. There was the, the rest of the ship wasn't even there. So it's not necessarily Michael Burnham that's the problem for me. Because, man, I really love that episode. But to from where from there to where we are now, mm -hmm. man, we have fallen off. And this this I hope this delivers. I want it to deliver in a very satisfying way, but I'm very worried. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, at this point, we are now officially more than halfway through with our third season. We're, I mean, this was episode seven of 13, and I think, um, what is it, next we have The Sanctuary, and um, that's directed by Frakes. I mean, that's, that's going to be a Jonathan Frakes episode, so we'll see what The Sanctuary brings us. And then following The Sanctuary, we have a two-part episode, uh, Terra Firma 1 and 2. And, um, I mean, we're, we're starting to wind down, so things are going to have to start making sense, like, hopefully pretty quick, like, with the way that they're going with this story, um, unless they're going to drag it on to season four, which they, again, they started filming season four, uh, I think it was, like, early November of 2020. I would be very surprised if they did that, because just the way that this, this series has progressed, you know, the Klingon War... The mm -hmm. coup in the mirror universe was one season. The Red Angel signals was one season. So I would be very surprised if we didn't get this storyline wrapped up in the next six episodes, which seems like a lot to do in just six episodes. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem like a lot, but I, I, I would assume they also wrap it up as well. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it for today. We'll be back again next week um, to talk about more stuff. Uh, if y'all, if you're an American listener and you're listening to this, I hope 
everyone had an enjoyable uh, Thanksgiving holiday, um, that you enjoyed your turkey coma. I smoked a turkey for the first time for Thanksgiving, and I quite enjoyed that, by the way. I think we're going to start doing that more than baking them, because it's just, one, it's easier, and it tastes better. So, anyway, David, Eric, thanks for hanging out again. Hopefully we'll see you all next week, too. Uh, for more discussion of this and hopefully it won't be as bad I'm hoping I don't have to get out any more fours or anything below a six anytime soon that's just me so anyway what did y'all out in listener land uh, y'all in the peanut gallery what did y'all think of this episode if you're if you're staying with us did you did you like it like were you someone that maybe gave it something closer to a 10 or did you think it was a dumpster fire do you think it was a dumpster fire that was in a dumpster fire um, and give it like something like a one or below a one uh, let us know what you were thinking. Let, let's continue the conversation. Um, we are on all the socials at TRTV Pod. Um, you can, you know, connect with us there. Get links to our social media. Um, you can also um, interact with us on our website, trtvpod.com. Check out our Hailing Frequencies page, uh, where there's ways that you can leave comments um, that go directly to us. We'd love to to you know read some of your comments on air sometime. On air is that thing when we record these? I guess it is. Anyway, um, otherwise, if you just want to send us an email straight away, you can do that. You can enter in coordinates to trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. Remember, there's a three-minute time limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode of Engage. And finally, if you do want to send us something like, I don't know, a new rank or something, um, maybe a, a cool, like, Navarre... Uh, like lapel pin kind of thing with like raptor wings and the itic all combined. That's cool too. You can send it to us. Make sure it gets to the Lone Star Station, P.O. Box 2455, Azel, Texas 76098. Guys and gals, thank you for listening to us. And as always, may you remember to always boldly go and make it so.